Hello and welcome to Saint and Greavesy with me, Ian St John, soon to be joined by my friend Jimmy Greaves. Of course, I am joking and I know what you're thinking, it's not funny. And you would be right, it's not funny, but Nick Amys and I were just doing a whole thing about Saint and Greavesy and I thought it'd be a good idea to start with it. I'm now regretting that. However, here we are, we're at the Mild-Mannered Army podcast headquarters and we're taking a slight detour from the world of rock and roll and pop and roll and Nick and I are going to spend a bit of time this year talking through events in the English Premier League for reasons which will undoubtedly unfold over the the coming few minutes here. But I think it's not just uh, as strange as it might seem. There was always a strong link between those Britpop bands and football, particularly certain London clubs, and certainly lots of the uh, acts who are still on the go have very close links to a variety of English Premier League clubs. So, without further ado, I'm joined by my very good friend, uh, Mr Nick Amys. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Paul. Right, so Nick, we're, we're going to talk football, and of course, th- this isn't all that unusual for you because you have some experience of writing about football, of course. Yeah, a while ago, I was um, I was a Bundesliga correspondent in one of my previous jobs when I worked for a, a German broadcasting institution. I would go as far as saying, and uh, yeah, so I, I would do live tickers pretty much every weekend. And so I would get to be quite um, quite involved with what was going on in the Bundesliga for a good, I don't know, five, six years. And I lived close to Dortmund, so Dortmund were my, my German team. And I went, I used to go quite regularly too. And so I have a bit of a connection with them. And now I'm lucky enough, well, I've always been a Liverpool fan, but now we're lucky enough to have Mr. Jurgen Klopp as our manager, who wasn't Dortmund manager at the time when I was living there and supporting them. Uh, in the flesh but uh, the connections are still there and obviously still strong so yeah and I'll bring a hopefully I'll bring a little bit of that absolutely rubbish analytical energy and style as I had before to this but let's see it might go all completely wrong and we might scrap it and never do another one well yeah yeah. I mean you you're bringing at least some expertise Nick I am bringing uh 40 yeah I'm 46 I'm bringing about 40 years worth of watching Heart of Midlothian in the Scottish Premier League. And I, I put Premier in quotes, of course, uh, because that lends uh, an, an air of quality that really the product doesn't merit. Um, so, yeah, but like, like you, I have a bit of a soft spot for, for um, some English clubs. You, of course, are a Liverpool fan. During the Britpop era, my friends and I, because we were sad sacks, decided that we needed to have a London club to sort of, you know, bolster our mod credentials. We felt that was good. And they all picked West Ham. And I picked Chelsea. And so I had a bit of an interest in Chelsea and a bit of a love affair with Chelsea right through that kind of Viali uh, period. Rutulic was there, of course, Dan Petrescu, all those kind of guys, Zola. And then I lost all interest, really, the moment Abramovich uh, took over. That, that kind of, you know, buying of success didn't sit particularly well with me um, and I didn't like some of the players in the team at that point I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't take a genius to work out which particular players uh, were not exactly my cup of tea given that I am mild-mannered Max um, <laughs> and now yeah I don't know I don't really have a, a particular uh, passion for any of the English Premier League clubs but like so many people who are interested in football, you can't get away from it it's, it's the dominant thing in football the English Premier League great players Great teams, controversy, huge amounts of money. It's it's all happening down there. So, um, yeah, so I thought, yeah, and you agreed, it might be a good idea for the two of us to kind of chew the fat about the results. Uh, yeah. the things that are going on, and we'll, we'll, we'll see where that takes us. Right, so the, the league season kicked off, Nick, with Liverpool on Friday night, uh, your yeah. club. And they were playing the club that, of course, you should be supporting. <laughs> That's a little dig, Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, we all have a story. We all have a story. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's true. Norwich City, which uh, at, well, they're my hometown club. I would venture to say I was born there. I did. I lived kind of nearby. I never supported them ever, ever. My brother is a a very, very staunch Canaries fan, and I sent him a text uh, on the very last day of. Um, the transfer window and I, I sent him a text and said have you seen Liverpool have organized a one game loan deal with Luis Suarez to play against Norwich just one more time 
And my brother, who is actually a priest, he <laughs> sent a one-finger salute back as his response. So there you go. Oh, and that's rebounded into the path of Suarez. He's gone for the chip. Oh, what a goal! Sensational from Luis Suarez. Man of the cloth. A man of the cloth, indeed. Well, he, um, did, he did have a remarkable scoring record against Norwich. Oh. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think after the first couple of, I don't know, hat-tricks or four goals, or however many he scored per game against them, I think the... Uh, the psychological thing got into the the city team after that, and uh, every time he kind of approached, they were like, ah! and of course, with a a man of his talents, um, back off on him and uh, balls in the net before you know it. But yeah, it, well, this uh, this game we obviously didn't have Suarez, and um, but we do have uh, arguably players on the same, or if not better level than him now and especially as a team I think we um, Liverpool play a lot better as a team and uh, are closer as a team than they ever did when he was a member of the squad so it was hometown against adopted hometown and uh, there were no splits in my uh, support at all it was fully red (laughs) and uh, yeah we got a good result yeah it was a good result Nick and I think it's it's Important to pick up on on that point that you've just made, if I can take you back just for a few seconds, about Liverpool being a better team than when Suarez was there. And that's the thing about Liverpool, isn't it? Or maybe that's the thing about Klopp. Klopp maybe doesn't have as many of the star names that Manchester City have, for example, just now, or that Man United and Chelsea had in previous seasons. You know, there isn't an Eden Hazard. There isn't an Aguero. But what there is is a collective. He seems to have this ability to to mould teams who are potentially, I don't know, possibly more than the sum of their parts. Is, is that a fair analysis? I think that's a fair analysis of some of the players, for sure. I think um, he makes players like, uh, I would say, Ginny Wijnaldum, for example, maybe even Fabinho. He's... He's a great player. I would I would rate him very highly, and I think he's going to get even better. But I don't think he's somebody who who came in and was uh, immediately hailed as a world class star. I'm not saying that he will go on to be one, but he's definitely going to be a lot better player. And I think that Fabinho and Ronaldo, I think, are, are benefiting from being part of this squad and being part of uh, um, Jurgen Klopp's team because of that, because of the way that Klopp has moulded them together. And even Jordan Henderson, John, Jordan Henderson gets a lot of stick and I, I'm, I'm not beating him with anything. He's, he's limited in his skills, but what he does is he, he does very well and he deserves his place as captain and deserves his place in the team. And I don't care what anyone says that, you know, okay, what well, do you want to replace him with? I don't know, put Oxley Chamberlain in his place or, you know, okay, it's a different type of player, but for the way that they play, they need, Henderson when he's fit and when now he's he's very comfortable in his position I think he's another one who benefits from that as well he benefits from the belief that the manager has in him you know the loyalty what I was saying was the manager inspires that kind of feeling and that emotion which is a a very special gift yeah like like I've just said before without the manager this is impossible um he go through tough times, through seasons, but what he's done since he's come to this football club is unbelievable. Not only the players that he's brought in to made the squad stronger, the players that were already here, he's made better. And such a togetherness in the group, and he's created a special dressing room. Um, so yeah, all the all the praise, everything goes to the manager. He gels in this whole team and uh, the the atmosphere that they have together uh, I think Henderson is, is he revels in that so I think that makes him a better player so I think you're right I think there are players within this team this Liverpool team which step up a level because of the environment they play in the person they play for the um, the way that Klopp has um, motivated the fan base is incredible it's a it's a real change from from even like seven years ago even longer ago when you know fortress anfield was just like 
quiet after the kickoff. Everyone was kind of in this this mindset that something bad was always going to happen. They had high hopes, but in general, I think the nervousness of the ongoing lack of silverware and more than anything, the title weighed very heavily on them. And I think now, even though we still haven't um, reaped many, many rewards, we've got the old big airs back and that's that's definitely helped. So I think they are um, they are a sum of their parts, but I think there are also some really excellent star players in that team too. Well, it's, it's also interesting that you say, you know, that there hasn't been a huge amount of silverware come through the, the doors while Klopp has been there. And yeah, I, th- I think, again, it's testament to what he does at a club and, the, and the, the environment that he creates, that there aren't any grumblings, right? Like if you hadn't won the Champions League last year, I don't think anybody anybody would be saying, well, it's time for Klopp to go. No, I mean, you always get some people who would bring that up. And of course, it was a stick that uh, rival fans were beginning to beat Liverpool with. You know, I lost another one. But uh, I suppose that's now out of the way and a bit of the pressure has gone. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a good start to the season to beat Norwich 4-1. It was, I suppose, for them, for Liverpool, it's a kind of easing into the the league no disrespect to Norwich because you know they played some really good stuff on Friday night and showed why they did showed why they um, were championship um, champions last year and uh, you know they did, Liverpool did enough in the first half and um, yeah you could say Norwich won the second but by then the game was over and uh, it was nice to see Salah and especially Firmino Firmino was great on Friday night I doesn't, he doesn't get he doesn't get enough credit for what he does because he doesn't score as many goals. But what he does and what he brings to the team is fantastic. So good, good attacking, um, positive steps there. A uh, bit shaky at the back. Um, I don't know whether or not Gomez and uh, Van Dijk are the way to go. I think in future they will be. But I, I, I would have brought Matip in for for that game to start with, and uh, then then bring Joe Gomez in as the season progresses, I think. And uh, then I think the thing which really I'm gutted about is Alisson's uh, injury because as soon as I heard that and as soon as I, I saw that happen, it was like, you know, we're, um, we're going to be in the deep doo-doo after that because, you know, that's he, he, I feel that he's such a, an integral part of that solid defence that you need him to make the back four confident enough to play the way that they did pretty much all the last season. And uh, if they're shaky now, they now have got a new goalkeeper behind them, which they probably don't know as well. I started thinking, oh man, to have this happen right now and he's out for a month or so. But let's see. Well, so then that, that brings us back to a, a question that has been asked about Liverpool over the last two or three seasons, I guess, Nick. And that is, OK, that starting eleven, maybe that match day squad is good, is arguably good enough. You know, I mean, it was very close last year, obviously. We'll maybe get to that in a second. But is there the strength and depth to cope with, you know, injuries to some of these key players? You know, and, and if, if Alisson's out for a month, what might that mean? So, two two questions for there, I guess. One, is the squad strong enough? And two, should Liverpool have done more during the transfer window? I think that if um, senior players in ver- in the important positions, which I would say would be the attack and the defence, I think we have enough people in in the midfield to tide it over. I think that was where most rotation happened during last season. I think if you get somebody like Salah or Manes out for a long sp- long spell, or you have Origi, um, Shakiri to come in, uh, you know, okay, these these players have can perform, but are they the same level? Are you have you got like for like? I would say no. Same really like Van Dijk getting injured, coming out with like a knee injury or something. Then you've got Matip and Gomez, or you've got Lovren you would feel that there would be a bit of a step down in any case there. So I would say the answer to that question would be, I don't think the squad depth is enough. Did they, could they have done more? I suppose that kind of answers that question. If they, yeah. if they don't have it in depth, then they should have done. But I also think that they 
Liverpool didn't go into that transfer window not knowing what they were doing. I would find that very hard to believe. The fact that you don't hear anything now from Liverpool is kind of a, a, a hark back to the days when everyone was tight-lipped, nothing was said out in public until things were final. And that's, that's great. But um, it also, especially in this kind of age of social media and everybody having an opinion, that kind of generates these kind of conspiracy theories that what well, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Did they mess up? Did they lose out on anyone? Did they even bother to look to buy anybody? And apparently in reports which have come out in the last few days, they did have discussions with agents about various players. But in the end, they thought, do they improve the squad? Do they come into a team and replace such and such? No, they're not good enough for that. So they left it. So, uh, in Klopp, we trust. Let's see what happens. Let's see. Let's see. All right, so let's run through the other uh, fixtures then over the the weekend, Nick. Uh, What about Spurs? Champions League finalists last year. Finish top Mm. four again. From the outside, you know, if I didn't know things, if I didn't know anything about football, if I was just looking from the outside in, I would say... That seems to be, you know, somewhere where everything's rosy in the garden. But if you follow some Spurs fans on social media, like I do, and I'm sure they crop up in your timeline as well, there does seem to be a bit of a divide there. There seem to be some people who think that actually, you know, things are hanging by a thread a little bit, that that maybe, you know, not enough has been done to strengthen the side, that it's not strong enough. Um, you know, they, they can't... Pop up with two goals against Villa on, on Saturday. As much time as he thought. Lamella won it. Blocked by Mings. It's broken for Kane! That's what Harry Kane can do to you! The great little touch out of his feet. Gets his bearings and strokes it home. To make sure they got the three points. And you, you, you are left with that question, right? If... If Kane gets injured or if Kane leaves, have they got enough in the tank? So I think they're a funny side, Spurs. I think sometimes they play some great football. They've got some really great players. But I don't know if that squad is good enough to do what they did last year in Europe again. My gut feeling would be no. And I don't know if they can improve on simply top four. And at that point, you're in danger of becoming Arsenal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, yeah um they are yeah they're they're a funny bunch spurs aren't they i mean because it's this is not the this is not the first season where they've had a, a transfer window where the um the anticipation amongst the fan base is to improve to improve because we're getting better and better and closer and closer and i think they are i mean in in general i would um yeah i think it's a it's a three i would say a, a three team three horse race this season with Spurs, Liverpool and Man City. And, uh, but I think Spurs are in danger of slipping away even further because of this, because yeah, I think they're an attractive side. I I rate their coach very highly. I think uh, the way they play can be really exciting and really nice to watch. And, but you know, they're losing, what did they lose? Uh, Trippier was gone, uh, has gone. Uh, Ericsson was nearly out the door. I mean, he, I think he was carried quite a lot last season. I have to be honest. I don't. I really rated Christian Eriksen for a long time. I think he didn't get his move, and I don't think he kind of sulked. But you could see something kind of drop off. He wasn't as as good. So now he's looking for another move, and now that hasn't materialised in this window. So who knows? But um, yeah, they didn't. But am I am I right in saying though, Nick, that that actually some of these players could still leave, just not to other clubs in England? Well, that's true. Yeah, I think so because the uh, the other European leagues are still they're still open at least for another two weeks, which is something that uh, Pochettino came out and said. He said, "Well, this we're at a, a disadvantage here in the Premier League because they're still able to buy, and we're going to be competing against these teams in Europe, and they've had an extra two weeks of strengthen, whereas we have what we have." And I think he has a point. I can't quite understand why that isn't uniform across all European leagues. But well, that, I mean, the, the Premier League chairman voted for this. It was either last year or the year before. They voted this rule through. And I, I don't know why they did it. It seems like a really strange thing to do. I mean, if Real Madrid decide that they're going to come and bid £100 million, £120 million for Harry Kane, there is no way, reading what you read about Daniel Levy, there's no way that Daniel Levy is going to turn down that kind of money. No, and you, you can't. Know, and, and, and you can't he's, replace him, can you? And you can, you then can't replace him, yeah. and you, you then end up in the same sort of situation as 
Chelsea are in uh, for different reasons. You know, Chelsea are in this situation because they don't have, you know, they've got this transfer ban, but Spurs and any other Premier League team could find themselves in a very similar situation, being, you know, severely weakened without the ability to bring someone else in. That's yeah. if I've read that transfer situation correctly, and I think I have. Yeah, I think you have, yeah. I so, mean, there we go. Yeah. In, in terms of the game on the on Saturday, well, they're playing an Aston Villa team who have just been uh, promoted, who basically went out and bought, what, an entire first team's worth of players. Over, right. I think and a lot of money. Like 12 players, something ridiculous like that. I mean, you know, okay. They, I suppose they think that they're going to need that amount of extra personnel to, to uh, withstand the Premier League season, but pff, I don't know. Isn't it a bit overblown? I think the days of having like a massive squad are kind of, we'll get to Man City in time, but uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's actually kind of what, what um, it's all about now. I think it's been more streamlined and I think yeah, it was a funny transfer window because no one was actually really doing a lot. There's a lot being spoken about. Some teams got, you know, two or three people in and then Villa went out and like, bought everybody. Well, in a certain kind of you know, money range, but yeah. I don't, I don't see them. I think they're going to struggle, and I think Tottenham had a game similar, similar to Liverpool, where they got somebody where they could uh, stretch the legs out, not really get out of you know, third yeah. year, and uh, got the first three points, which is going to like settle them a little bit. But uh, let's see. There's um, for both. Well, here's. Yeah. Here's, here's a, a, a thought for you, Nick, and actually I'm going to make this thought twice, so I'll maybe, so the next game I'm, I, I want to mention is the Palace-Everton game, and mm-hmm. the, the reason for that is this, right, you've got, Aston Villa have gone out and spent a lot of money, brought in a lot of players, like, like you, I'm not so sure that's a particularly good move, um, but time will tell, I suppose. Everton also, big money, a lot of people arriving um, at Everton, and I wondered, given that Spurs and Everton are both going to be kind of competing top four, or certainly that's Everton's hope, isn't it? They can break into that kind of top six and then look to be challenging top four. That's why they're spending that money. Is there a case to be made for both of those clubs that maybe it might have been worth pushing the boat out a little bit to bring in one G Bale of Madrid? Yeah, I can, yeah. Um... Do you know what I mean? An an elite-level player, a guy with a proven track record of scoring goals in La Liga. He's got a track record of scoring goals in England. I get it about the injury situation, but talismanic figure. You look at what he does for Wales. He plays. Wales play. Could he have had a similar impact? You know, he would have taken a bit of the heat off of Harry Kane. He would certainly improve Everton. Mm. Certainly, you would think Everton and, and Spurs have got the money to pay his wages. Yeah, uh, well, if that would have been the case, he'd have gone to Spurs, I think. I mean, I find it hard to say no disrespect to Everton for obvious reasons, but sure. I don't, I don't see. I mean, they're aiming to be, as you say, top six, heading for top four, get a new stadium which they've got planned, which looks amazing actually. And um, yeah, who knows? But um, I think if you're someone like Gareth Bale and you're saying, okay. They want me out. I'm not going to China. I want to go back to the Premier League. He's going to go back to Spurs. I think Everton's problem is um, they have a bit of an image issue. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're not glamorous, however much, you know, they would like to think so. But, um, <laughs> but, but that, that doesn't... That... Football, football brings out a really ugly side in people, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, you live in Liverpool for long, long enough, and uh, <laughs> even, if, even if you don't have preconceptions, it seeps in after a while. <laughs> but anyway, I, I would say that you know, they've they've done well. I think Everton have the, um, a range of player where um, they can easily get, and I think with um, Keane, which they got from Juventus. Moise, tell us your feelings on becoming a player for Everton Football Club. I'm very proud, I'm very honoured to, to wear this, uh, this uh, T-shirt, hoping that I'll give the best to this uh, team. You're considered one of the most talented young strikers in Europe. What was it about Everton that convinced you it was the right club for you? So the club has, uh, is looking forward, is looking for the future, and he always, he also is looking for the future, and the, the club has a big idea, and it's very good. Potentially looks like he could be a good player, although his stats kind of are a little bit 
underwhelming. He's he, he's a name which has been mentioned about. He's played for obviously the Italian champions. He's played in a great team of players, but he's what scored nine goals in the last what two seasons or something like that. I don't know if that's right, but I read something similar. And is, uh, is he potentially another Balotelli? I think Balotelli had a lot more um, talent. He just wasn't. He just wasn't um, sane enough. <laughs> He's too mental. I think. I think Keane might be one of these players who become like an Everton kind of talisman, like a, a cult hero. Yeah. And, um, is he the fifteen, twenty goals a season guy that they need to make that jump? And I don't know. I don't know. He's new to the league. We'll see. Well, last year they had two guys that, that hit 13 goals, you know, so that put them into the top 10 or in the bracket of the top 10 goal scorers. You know, they had Rich Allison and they had Gilfie Sigurdsson, who both hit 13. So you've got you've got to think, um, and I think I'm right in saying as well, hold on, I've got the stats here. In terms of assists, yeah, interestingly, they didn't have anybody in the top 10 for assists, though. Mm. So you've got to think that, you know, a guy like Keane coming in, He's going to need more than that, right? He's, he's going yeah. to need service. And I'm not sure that he's the kind of finisher that either Sigurdsson or Rich Arlson is. You know, I don't think he does what Rich Arlson does up front. And he doesn't play where Sigurdsson does or take the free kicks and all that kind of stuff. So, mm. it, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's certainly a glamorous signing. Um, I, I don't know about Everton. You know, I, I obviously am I'm not uh, tainted by having any particular skin in that game. Mm. Although my dad's a big Liverpool fan, big, big Liverpool, loves Liverpool. Um, and I've been to a few Liverpool games in my time. But I, there's a bit of me, you know, maybe it's just a romantic thing. It'd be quite nice to see, you know, a kind of resurgent Everton. I know you will not feel the same way. So we'll <laughs> we'll move on from that before you say something really horrible and nasty. Uh, right. The other game that I thought was really interesting uh, was the Sheffield United match. Oh, yeah. Um, because you've got. Billy Sharp scoring in the in the Premier League. I think yeah. it's his first Premier League goal. Um, I th- think I'm right in saying he's the record Premier League, uh, sorry, Football League goal scorer. I, d- I don't think anybody else has got as many goals as he does in the in the Football League. Really? Wow. I, I, I'm I I'm almost certain that that is true. I'm sure somebody on Twitter is going to uh, jump on on top of this and and let us know if that's true or not. But I'm fairly sure that's accurate. Anyway, he certainly scored a lot of goals, but he's one of these guys who, a bit like Steve Bull back in the day, hello to all the over 50s who are listening, you know, it's a bit like, <laughs> he's been around for ages, Billy Sharp, so the, the, again, the romantic in me was really happy um, about the fact that Sheffield United, you know, got off to a good start in the league, take a point away from home uh, against Bournemouth, um, who are a, a, a good outfit, right, play a lot of good football, get a lot of good results, Um but Sheffield United got a got a point. Billy Sharp gets the goal, and I'm also delighted for uh, Paul Heaton, our friend from the north. Norwood short, nicely worked out. Ball ducks, ball in, and the body, and it's in from Sharp. It's Sheffield United's living legend who hauls them level with their first goal back in the Premier League. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um... I, yeah, that, that's a, that's one of these opening day stories, isn't it? It's, it's great, and Billy Sharp scoring, Sheffield United not getting thrashed. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Uh, and like you say, Bournemouth is not—they're not—they're not, they're not, um, they're not a, a side you can turn over. They're—they're they're a good side. They play good football, and uh, yeah, it's a good result for for United. Right here you go, Nick. I've I've looked at what you were talking there. Yeah, Billy Sharp. Yeah. Uh, record football league goal scorer in uh, in the 21st century, 220 goals, which takes him past uh, Ricky Lambert, who he was at. Um, I think he was at Southampton with Ricky Lambert. So I mean that's that's quite the record. And given that he scored you know goals at Southampton, I wonder if Liverpool might make a move in January. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> <laughs> poor old Ricky. <laughs> it's funny when um when people are like moaning about how things are going at Liverpool there's always somebody on Twitter they always put up one of those Sky Sports screen grabs which had Balotelli, Ricky Lambert and uh who's the other guy the Italian dude 
um, <laughs> Barini. Barini. Oh yes, that was that was our <laughs> that was our attacking trident. So we've come a long way since then. <laughs> Good old Ricky. Fair play to him, man. Fair play to Ricky Lambert. But, well, I've got, yeah. a, lot, I've got a soft spot for Ricky. He played for yeah, Bristol yeah. Rovers as well, who, who really are an English club that I've got a lot of time for. Um, yeah, and I, I think I'm right in saying that Paul Heaton, a bit, bit of time maybe on the terraces with the Blades baby crew. That's, that's it. Or maybe that's an urban legend. I'm fairly sure that Paul Heaton had some kind of connection with some of the football casuals at Sheffield United. I've heard that too, yeah. Yeah. That too. Certainly, um, he's rarely seen without a Stone Island jacket on. So it would, uh, you know, as our American cousins would say, you do the math. Um, right. What about uh, Burnley, um, who got off to a, a cracking start, a 3-0 win against Southampton? Um, I, I wonder if it's already looking like a relegation battle for the Saints. But, you know, last season, Burnley had a long period where it looked like things maybe had just run their course you know, yeah, it, yeah. maybe it was time for the ginger Mourinho to, to step aside. And then they rallied again towards the end of the season. Burnley, I like the manager. Um, I like what they're about. I, I don't know. What, what, realistically, what, what can what can a team like Burnley expect over the course of a season? I think that actually they've, um, I would go as far to say they've, um, they've weathered the storm Premier League wise. I think they're in a... I'll say this now and they'll get relegated. <laughs> I think they're an established middle division uh, team for sure. I think they've um, the manager knows what he's doing. They normally have a good bunch of players. They're hard to beat. They're like hard to play. They have a they're, they're tough. They're a tough team, and uh, I think they've kind of worked it out how to do it and um i wouldn't go to, as far as say that they're they'll ever be a leicester and like shock everybody and win the league but i think you know given time if they stay in in the division for a few more seasons they'll they'll really cement them they'll cement their place in it i like them too and i'm glad that they're still there i really am yeah me too and there's, there's a lot of good players there you know guys like ashley barnes and tom heaton and what have you you know there's there's there's, there's good people at that club um and they seem to be doing things the what does this even mean? But you know the right way. You know, yeah. you know they're not, they're not you know spending bazillions of pounds. They're competitive. They're difficult to beat. But I guess the bigger question for me about Burnley is what what does Sean Dyche do? You know, does 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 he stay there to what end? Mm. You know, how far can he really take a club like Burnley? Because I wonder about whether or not, and this is a terrible thing to say, but I don't think it's me that's saying it. Really, I think it's a reality situation. I don't think he's glamorous enough for a bigger club to take a gamble on him. You know, I can't yeah, see him. At, yeah. I can't see him at Spurs. I can't see him at Chelsea. I certainly can't see him at Manchester United. Manchester. No, you just you no. just can't see no. it, right? You can't see it. No. So, what, see, what, what, would, what does he yeah. do? I'd see him at somewhere like Newcastle, to be honest, somewhere like that. But well, is that a step up? We'll get we'll get to Newcastle. We'll get to Newcastle. Yeah, but, um, I mean that's, that's a tricky but, one. But yeah, yeah so yeah. big big result for Burnley. Bad result for Southampton. I thought yeah. that they looked really shaky last season as well. Um, what happened and, there? Apart from the fact that Liverpool has stolen all their best players, that's right, like yeah. Ricky Lambert. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean Southampton. The uh, I don't know what's gone on there. Because I, I, I'm with you. I think they're in trouble this season already. I think they could be down and out. Don't well, they, they were another club who, a bit like Burnley, seemed to be doing things the right way, right? They, they yeah. seemed to sort of have everything in place. They had, you know, this academy that was bringing players through. They were scouting in the lower divisions. They were bringing in, you know, quality players. Things were going well. And then, yeah, the wheels just seem to have come off a little bit. And I'm, I'm not so sure that they've... Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just don't see it for Southampton this year. I think if, if they stay up that'll be a massive, massive achievement. Um, and a lot of that, I guess, will depend on the, the clubs who have just been promoted. Great first day at the office. Yeah, very pleasing. Um, you know, tough. It's not an easy uh, day, actually, the first day of the season, because everyone's writing all these things about what could happen. Uh, you want to be on the right side of it, which you were today. And I thought, deservedly so, overall. Um you know, I must say for both sides, a really tough day. You know, you were the, the wind was swirling, the rain, everything. It made it a tough day, an unusual first day of the season, actually. Um, but no, overall, I've been really pleased with the players during pre-season. And I thought they got a, a just deserve, a, a just reward, sorry, for all the good work they've put in pre-season with a good performance today. Here's something I really want to talk about, Nick, and that is uh, Brighton. 
because my my club up here in Scotland, Hearts, have a manager who is, shall we say, divisive. Uh, I'll be generous and say that it's 50-50 amongst the support about, you know, whether or not he should say. And the question that constantly comes up, I guess this would be the same at lots of other clubs, is, oh, well, you know, if you get rid of him, who do you replace him with? And then people just start trotting out the same names. You would get this in England, right? There's the managerial merry-go-round, you know, certain managers, Sam Allardyce, Brendan Rodgers, you know, they just kind of rotate around, you know, these kind of mid to lower table sides. That's maybe not fair on Rodgers, actually. But you know what I mean? You know, there are certain names that just crop up all the time. But here we have a club in Brighton who seem to have taken a slightly different approach. They've brought in this guy, Potter, Graham Potter, who, of course, enjoyed reasonable amounts of success in Sweden with Ostersund. He then went to Swansea. Did a good job at Swansea in very difficult circumstances. You know, his hands tied in lots of different ways there. Did a good job at developing young players, brought a few in, established them in the top team. And now he's been given this chance at, at, at Brighton. And you can say what you like about, you know, how Chris Hutton was treated. And I, I would be very sympathetic to, to people who felt that he was treated badly. But I think Potter is a sort of clock light. I don't mean in terms of personality, but another guy who's maybe just done things in a slightly different way, you know, who's built a career yeah. in a different way. And I, I, I think Brighton are going to be a team to watch this year. And I'm not going to say anything mad, like they're going to qualify for Europe. But I, I, I think they will be good to watch. And I, I think they could upset and shock a few people along the way. Yeah, I definitely think that they're going to be safe, for sure. And uh, I don't know enough about the guy to know whether or not... Um, he's got it in him to push them all the way up the table. I don't know. Maybe, but um, I like to see them do well. I'm glad that they managed to, to stay up because um, I, I have a friend who's a, who's a big Brighton fan and he's a, he's very, he's a regular attendee and uh, he, he speaks very highly about how they run the club and what they do uh, for the fans, not just for the fans, the home fans, but also the away fans, the way they're treated. And you've talked about clubs which are supposedly running things the right way. And I think Brighton are one of those. And if they have now a manager who is uh, clever, gets some playing, uh, has an exciting brand of football, then, uh, you know, where can they go? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going but... to say top 10. I'm going to say top 10. It's, it's, it's one of the few predictions I'm going to make while we're chatting here tonight. But I, I've, I think Brighton are going to finish top 10 this year. And I think that would be a massive result for them. And I, th- I think they'll do it playing some good football along the way. So I guess we'll see. Well done. Um, fantastic start to your Premier League career. Absolutely, yeah. Um, fantastic result and uh, a really good performance as well. Uh, to, to score three goals and a clean sheet away from home is a, is a bit of a dream, of course, as a, as a start. I thought the, the, the players, in terms of their application in pre-season and then going to the game, was 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 first class. And and then over the course of the game, of course, you have to survive some moments in a in a Premier League match with the quality that Watford have. But uh, overall, I thought we we tried to do what we what we what we set out to do. And um, and then you just need a bit of luck and a bit of quality. I thought we had that. Right. Uh, let's turn our attention to Manchester City. Um, big result, good result. Thrash West Ham down at London Stadium 5-0. But we're not really talking about that, right? We're talking about VAR. That's that, yeah. the, that's, that's the big takeaway from this game. Um, so let, yeah, let me set out my stall here, Nick. I am a football traditionalist in very many ways. And I don't like VAR. Um, I don't care if referees make mistakes. I don't care if those mistakes cost my team points. Um, I don't care about um, inherent bias from referees. I don't care about linesmen not spotting offside decisions. Because for me, it all feeds into what going to the football is about. It's about complaining and debating and arguing and losing your shit with the officials. And it's about the ups and downs and it should be a roller coaster. And most importantly, it is a human endeavour. It's a sport. It shouldn't be something that's decided by people sitting in a room somewhere poring over a video using all sorts of software and artificial intelligence to determine you know, whether or not somebody's ingrowing toenail had drifted into an offside position. I don't like it. And I, th- I, th- I think it will be the death knell of the game as we once knew it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Uh, I think it's one of the many 
nails going into the coffin of football after the amount of money which gets thrown into it, the amount of uh, the the type of people who are allowed to buy clubs and run yeah. clubs and the way that they do that and uh, that there's no it's true but it's also cliched and it's a shame that it's a cliche and it's like the whole thing about taking football away from the real fans or away from the fans is getting away from the people because it's a game of the people to start with it becomes less and less like that as you see um major cup finals how many tickets are allocated to the actual supporters of the teams and how much goes to business partners the media blah 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 you know and you get 15,000 tickets to go and see your team play a major european cup final and then you get like 40,000 um luxury packages sold or something like that it's ridiculous so this is just another another nail in that coffin and i i'm with you as well it's it's all about the mistakes it's all about the it's about what you what you make happen and the things which get missed football's about the small details it's about the big calls which go wrong that's the that's the excitement it shouldn't be like made clinical by a computer program or it shouldn't i don't even want to see these screens you know what are we then going to have like uh like american football yeah kind of structure coming in where okay you're going to break up the you're going to break up the game into what four quarters and then have ad breaks and cheerleaders which they've tried and that kind of failed in there but thank goodness but um yeah i mean well, what, what, what's what's it all about and i mean yeah we're, we're going to drift here for a second there but yeah you, you talked about you know um what it means for football and you know the types of people who buy clubs and the experience for supporters and what have you and i, I think there is at the risk of sounding like some dreadful old 1970s trade unionist, there is a real case to be made that football is now being treated like a pub that's got a rough clientele. And so what the brewery do is, is they send in a new manager, they put all the prices up by 200%, they price out the previous clientele, and they bring in people with lots of disposable income, right? And you you, you price out the the old clientele. And that is definitely happening in football as well. And I'll, I'll give you one example of anecdotal albeit but one piece of evidence for this so I went to see David Peace uh, speaking at the Edinburgh Book Festival a couple of years ago when his book about Shankly came out Red or Dead which if people haven't read it is fantastic and it is, is every bit as good as The Damned United in fact from a literary point of view I think it's better written than The Damned United and as part of that discussion he told this story about doing a piece for BBC television and he was at the docks in Liverpool and they were trying to interview him and some local scallies were behind him and kept jumping into the frame and eventually they managed to sort of calm these kids down by saying look we'll speak to you once once we're finished. So they finished the piece to camera and David Peace goes over to speak to them and they're talking about being Liverpool supporters and one of these kids says to David Peace hey he's been to a game and they're all pointing at this mate of theirs and he sort of turns around and there's this kid with his chest puffed out with pride and he was so thrilled that he was the only one in their group that had actually ever been able to afford to go to Anfield and take in a game there and you think to yourself well that's no good is it you yeah. know that's no good and that 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 is that is what VAR is you know people like you and I who come from working class backgrounds and we go to football games for you know goodness knows how long no we don't want that we don't want that but you know, if you're a, a hedge fund manager, you know, you'll be completely unfazed by it. It'll give you 30 seconds to go and buy a cappuccino from the in-house Starbucks, you know, without missing any of the action. I, yeah, I just don't like it. And I, I, th- I think it had a, a negative impact on the game on Saturday. Um, it did a weird thing to the atmosphere. It broke up the play. It broke up the flow of things. Yeah, I just don't like it. Mm. One more thing before we move on to the uh, the game and the, the effect yeah. of that on the game, uh, the um, the money aspect of it is actually probably one of the reasons why this VAR has been brought in as well because the margins yeah. are so slim, right? And what you get from winning and what that what's that worth to your club if you're an owner or if you're whoever's involved or got a stake in it, the margins are so slim and you have to win. If something helps you, then uh, yeah, all for it. But if, of course, it goes the other way as well, and it shows that it, you know, it's gonna undo some clubs as well as help them. You know, but that's by the by. I think it's because there's so much money involved that they can't be allowed to make mistakes. It just can't allow it to be 
organic it has to be controlled and that comes from having too much money washing around in the place yeah anyway right yeah. so the game the game itself, the game yeah, itself. of course it's you've got the <clears throat> er thing with the offside decisions and penalty decisions and it, it just interferes but the, the big talking point from the game aside from vr i guess then is this kid i don't know if you're aware of him he's called raheem sterling nick raheem sterling a very very good young player excellent young player I, I i don't know how much you know about him hold on i've just clicked on his wikipedia but apparently he used to play for liverpool oh yeah i remember him <laughs> You know, lots of fond memories of Raheem Sterling. I think. <laughs> uh, I think one of my fondest memories of the charming young man was when he smiled gently and benignly at the fans who were shouting abuse at him as he was trying to force a move. Uh, <laughs> wonderful days. No, uh, yeah, Sterling's well, great. He's, he's a good. He's a great player. He is a he's great a phenomenal player. player. I, I yeah. thought that when he, when he left Liverpool, I thought it was the biggest waste of money that I had seen in football. Like, I got it. You know, he was quick and he ran around a lot, right? But 18 <laughs> goals in almost 100 games. And I'm not sure what his assist record was, but I, I don't think it would be particularly impressive. And I just thought, what a waste of money. What a waste of money. And then you, you, you look at it now and you go, bloody hell, 51 goals in 132 games. Since he's moved to to City, you know he's, he's 17 goals in the league last year. A hat trick on Saturday. I here's my second prediction of the night. I think he's going to be the top scorer in the league this year. Mares. Now the runner just dancing away from Balbuena. It's Raheem Sterling. So easy for Manchester City. Cunning swayed through West Ham United, the kind of goal that was their hallmark last season. Yeah, I think quite possibly, quite possibly. I always kind of wonder what he would have uh, achieved under Klopp as well, mm. if, he'd have, if he'd have stuck around. Because um, Guardiola has definitely tapped into something with him and they, he plays him the right way, gives him the responsibility um, you could argue that the the team is kind of set up for him. Well, I mean, he is he's a remarkable talent. What what I noticed on Saturday watching the game was the the movement. You know, if you watch where his position for each of the goals, he's in a different area of the field each time. He's coming in from the right. He's coming in from the left. He's coming through the middle. And the technique for the one where he chipped the goalkeeper. Which, yeah. of course, you know, anyway, we talk about that all night long as well. I mean, it's phenomenal technique. He just, he looks to me like one of those guys who is just about to hit a real groove and potentially become the best player in the world for the next few years. Yeah, that kind of player when it looks like uh, they're not even thinking about what exactly. to do. It just happens and they it's instinctive. Yeah, he's definitely got something about him like that. I mean, from the result itself, I mean, I can see... I can see teams, maybe one or two, maybe three. I don't want to say too many, but uh, giving Liverpool a hard time and maybe beating them. I think they're not going to. I think they're going to lose more games this season than they did last season. I think Spurs are going to have a run where they lose a lot of games. I don't, I don't see that they can put on a a very strong run and they'll they'll lose games. But I. I look at the other teams in the league and I can't see who can beat Man City, to be honest. I don't want to give in. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to. I, damn you, I am not giving in. <laughs> but um, anyway, West Ham, okay. But well, then, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's so little you can say, right? I mean, about about a, a machine as slick as City are just now. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, and I, I, I hear all the arguments and I tend to agree with them about how they've got to that position and the amount of money that is taken to get to that position. But then the, the, the football fan in me, the guy who likes watching football, just has to put that to one side. And I know where the money's coming from as well. And I get that. That's not nice either. But... From a purely footballing point of view, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for anybody to to keep the pace with them this year. But then, you know, we, we say that, Nick. We said this last year, you know, when they sort of won 133 games in a row at the start of the season. And then there they did come a point where they stumbled. Yeah. So I true. guess the, the thing is, this year for Liverpool or Spurs or whoever else is going to throw their hat into the ring is, can they, and this is such a cliche, can they simply grind out wins? Do, do they have enough in the tank when it's nil-nil to grind out a win? 
to win ugly, I guess. Is, is, I mean, there's three cliches in one sentence. So <laughs> it'll be that that that'll be really really interesting, I think. Um, yeah. So you, right. Yeah. No, no, you could please. Have, you, you could have said, um, do they have enough in their locker? Just so oh I... yeah, yeah. Do they have enough in the locker? And, and, uh, and <laughs> in we, the tank. In the tank, and we we go again. That's that's a very modern one, isn't it? We go oh, again. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Klopp, you've you've been beaten four nil today. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, we go again. Uh, yeah, Stephen Gerrard came up with that one. Oh, was that Stevens? We go yeah, again. Yeah, yeah good yeah. for him. Good, good old Stevie G. Stevie G, of course, who managed uh, Rangers to a quite incredible result over uh, my uh, city neighbours, Hibernian, today. They they lost 6-1 to Rangers. Huge commiserations to Irvin Welsh and the Proclaimers. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my, 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 heart, my, heart, my heart my heart is broken. Sorrow, sorrow. Uh, right, let's turn our attentions to yeah. the North East End. Uh, Newcastle United play uh, played Arsenal uh, yeah. this afternoon and Andy Carroll apparently was photographed with, wearing a baseball hat of course he wasn't playing because of course he wasn't wearing a baseball hat with the word icon on it really he's 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 quite the character Andy Carroll isn't he yeah, I mean yeah. he's actually he's more interesting than a lot of the teams he plays for yeah did it did the hat fall off Mike Ashley's head <laughs> he'd pick it up behind him as he was walking along yeah and he, he also had a massive sports direct mug that he was drinking sort of hot chocolate out of um yeah newcastle oh, and- yeah andy carroll well yeah i mean if, if ricky lambert was a weird Blood decision instrument. yeah there we go um oh, yeah, yeah newcastle I've got a friend uh, here in Edinburgh, a really, really lovely guy uh, called Dave, you know, really sharp guy. He's a, a consultant, a consultant paediatrician. So, you know, clearly a man who's very principled, you know, he's compassionate. He's just the nicest man, one of the nicest people I've ever met, a really, really lovely human being. And I really feel for, for people like him. You know, they invest so much in a club like Newcastle. And under Ashley, they are getting so little back. I don't buy into the myth around Newcastle fans that, you know, people constantly beat them with, oh, you've got expectations above your station, you know, and you think you should be winning the league. I've never met a Newcastle fan who believes that. All, all I ever meet from Newcastle fans, and my friend Dave is a good example of this, they, they just want it to be better than this. <laughs> they just want it to be better than this. I don't think that's unreasonable. You know, it's a big, big club. It's a great city. There's a lot of great people up in the northeast of England. And the northeast has been shafted in so many ways for so many decades. It would just be great to see, you know, a successful Newcastle. Is Steve Bruce the man to give them something to cheer about this year? I don't think Steve Bruce is the man to give anybody anything to cheer about. (laughs) I think if you get Steve Bruce in as a manager, then you're looking at fighting for survival. Um, Yeah, I think I think that's a really the the out of all the dumbest things that Mike Ashley has, has done, letting Rafa Benitez leave. Yeah. When he could have, from what the reports say, you know, he wasn't asking for much. I mean, in terms of football, you know, yeah. how much is a, is too much or too little. But um, if you wanted to keep somebody like him at your club, you should have done everything to do that. And then it's like it's like you were saying about um, Burnley. It's like where does someone like Sean Dyche go? He goes to somewhere like Newcastle, and if he did, he'd be a step up from Steve Bruce, I have to say, because Steve Bruce, I don't know, you, you bring someone in like that, it's like you've got a hat full of people, as you said before, it's like Sam Allardyce, Kerbishly, if he's still alive. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, his managerial medical. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing there about somebody like Sean Dyche going to Newcastle is, I don't think somebody like Sean Dyche would go to Newcastle. Is it too big for him? You think, as in terms no, of like... I, 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 no, I, th- I think he would look at it and he would say, no, I, th- I think I'll just be unemployed. I, I don't think he would want to go there. I, I don't know who could go and work and be successful under yeah. Mike Ashley. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the motivation Steve Bruce had for that. I mean, I suppose there's some kind of. Um... Is he is he from Newcastle? I know he's he is. From, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, yeah. he used to he used to sneak into the ground and all that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, he's got he's got all the right stories to tell about being a Newcastle fan. Oh, yeah, but yeah. I just, uh, I mean, the, the the next game we're going to look at or we're going to talk about briefly is going to be Leicester and Wolves. Surely Newcastle should be able to attract the types of players that Leicester and Wolves have. I'm just talking purely in terms of fan base here. 
Oh yeah, of course. You know, course. New, New, Newcastle are as, as big a club as Leicester Wolves, probably a bigger club, arguably. Um, maybe I, mean, I don't know what the trophy count would be, but you know, for a club like Leicester to have achieved what they achieved under a manager like Ranieri, yeah. a club like Newcastle under a manager like Benitez, I mean, really, they, 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 I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that they could have won the league, but you know, they should certainly have been able to do better than they did. And it's it all comes as it always does. It all comes back to Ashley. And I, I believe there was a big kind of you know um, boycott of the game today and a march through Newcastle City Centre. And you know, it wasn't an, a small number of people. I reckon there was something like ten thousand supporters who were involved in this. You know, when when things get to that stage at a football club, it rarely ends well. Yeah, I do feel. I mean, not in a patronising way, because I've got a, I've got a lot of friends who are Newcastle fans, and um, I love the city as well. Um, I just feel really sorry for them. They don't deserve it, you know. They don't. They they don't deserve their club to be run like that, and uh, for it to just go downhill. That's just how it is. It's going downhill, and they they had a chance to go up. They had a chance to progress with Benitez, and I, yeah, I think they've taken a, a huge step back. And I think they were beaten by an Arsenal team who are really I just don't see the point of them, to be honest. What's the point well, of Arsenal? What well, is the I mean, point? I mean, I'm a huge apart. I mean, I don't actually know any Arsenal supporters. I, I do, sure. I, I do, and yeah, I hope they're listening. <laughs> what, I mean, what's but, the point of your team, really? <laughs> yeah, you, they're, well, they're top. They're top heavy. They can't defend. They're, I mean, they they were great. They were a fantastic team. They were they were a wonderful club. But now they're, I don't know they're like they're like Aston Villa. It's like what, what's the point? An attempt to find Aubameyang. Aubameyang just where he wants it, and when he gets it there, that is where he usually puts it. Arsenal into the lead, Aubameyang up and running. But I said earlier, his movement off the ball is so good, he's so clever, but there was a huge gap for him to move into here. Why are they, why, why are they there? Do we need to have a certain an amount of teams? Is that the only... Oh, yeah. They kind, of, they, kind of, they kind of drift around beating people for a little while and like challenge for like half a season and then they all give up and then they all start moaning about having bad haircuts or something and then they're, they're like uh, we might get into the Europa League. Well, you, 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 uh, you know everything you need to know about a club when the big you know, close season or pre-season signing is David Luiz. I mean that I, I couldn't believe that. I, I genuinely couldn't believe it. You know that they were so excited to be signing, you know, a guy like that. I mean, he. Anyway, I've I've got very strong opinions on David Luiz. He's one of these people that people describe as a cult footballer. You know, he's a cult figure, um, and they are only one constant out as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I was going. Um, I was thinking something along the same line. <laughs> so <laughs> family show. So Arsenal top six at best. I think so, right? Yeah, and it's yeah, interesting yeah. because the, the next two clubs on the list, I think, are two clubs who could well push Arsenal outside of that top six, and that's Leicester and Wolves. I think Leicester under Brendan Rodgers, I mean, I've had first-hand experience of, of watching a Brendan Rodgers side up here in Scotland, of course, with his remarkable achievements at, at Celtic, much as every supporter outside of Glasgow and Scotland doesn't like Rangers and Celtic. What he did with that team here was, I mean, it was just remarkable. Um, and they, yeah. they played some great football. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I just know, wanted to I, ask you, you, hmm. you have a lot of experience of that. I mean, is it... Was it really him? Could anyone have gone into Celtic no. and won no, the if, if, like that? If, no, no. If, if anyone could have done it, anyone would have done it like that. And of course, you know, Celtic have been aided and abetted on this march to probably at least nine in a row again by the fact that Rangers had all these kind of off-field issues and what have you and were out of the top flight for so long and, and now are you know trying desperately to kind of get themselves back into a competitive position. But other managers were there and won league titles, of course, but they didn't win them the way that Brendan Rodgers won them. Right. You know, they didn't they didn't have an unbeaten season. Um, I think it was something like 47, is it 47 games, 67 games that they went unbeaten? I mean, it was remarkable. So, no, I don't think anybody could have done it. The previous manager didn't do it with that kind of style. Uh, Ronnie Dahlia, the Norwegian, he didn't manage it. Um, I, th- I think it really was something quite special. It'll be interesting to see what Neil Lennon does. You know, Neil Lennon's another quite divisive figure in Scottish football for, for all sorts of reasons. Not all of them are related to football, of course. But uh, they've got off to a great start. 
but I don't know. I mean, I've not seen them yet. Um, I'll, I'll get to see them in a couple of weeks when they take about 10 goals off of Hearts. But you you know, you've seen Brendan Rodgers' sides at their very best, Nick, and, and then I guess you saw them kind of in decline for a season or two as well when he was at yeah. Liverpool. But he does like his teams to play in a particular way. You know, he, he does want to play attractive football. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but I think Leicester and Wolves, they look to me good enough on paper to match Arsenal. And if they get any kind of consistency at all, I, th- I think they could well be sides that push Arsenal out of the top six. Yeah, I think so too. I think I really like I really like Wolves and what's going on there. I'm really yeah. happy that they're... That they're um where they are and how they play and um, they're they're exciting team. I, I thought I thought at one point Watford were going to be kind of like a Wolves team. They had yeah. they had kind of exciting young players coming in. They had you know they could match it with big teams. They were proving problematic to some, and uh, you know they, they looked like they could kind of build on that. I think they've gone off the boil a bit, Watford. But Wolves, I think um, I like watching them. They, they they play really good stuff and uh, they're a great attacking team and uh Leicester too I'm not I'm not too up to date with like Brendan Rodgers version of Leicester um when well, Harry Maguire has gone and uh I don't know who else have they lost other people this this transfer window but I don't I haven't heard of anyone coming in who would really kind of set the world on fire but like you said well, he, he does have his his way of playing and if he if he sticks to that and he's got the personnel then i can't i can't see why leicester and especially wolves um they're up there in the european positions well you you, you said there nick you know about who they've brought in are they going to set the heather on fire well that exact same argument could be made for the the final two teams this weekend right man united and chelsea you know i i, I watched that game this afternoon and Mm, I, I'm not so sure that if I was a Chelsea fan, I would have taken very many positives out of it. Um, they looked so vulnerable at the back, like really, really vulnerable. And they have no cover there either. Uh, not not really. And they don't look like they've got goals up top. You know, you're relying on Giroud, who I think now is about 46. Um, <laughs> and Tammy Abraham, who certainly scored a lot of goals in the championship last season. But, you know, he, he looked really lightweight today, it, it, in my opinion. This, the, the kid Mason Mount as well. You know, he looks like a good player, but again, he's not as good a player as the guys who have left. And and some of the other players in that Chelsea team, you know, although they had spells where they were the better team, that has to be put in context. They were up against a Man United team that actually, I was looking at and I was thinking, well, is this a team that can match Liverpool, City, Spurs? Are they that much better than Wolves and Leicester? I, I didn't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, despite the fact they scored four goals, I'm not so sure that they've got, you know, that amount of goals in them every week. Oh no, I don't. Oh, no, this, this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look into four nil over Chelsea, and uh, and say that Manchester United are back by any stretch of the imagination. I think if, if, like you were saying, if you were a Chelsea fan and you saw that Manchester United team put four past you, you'd be seriously worried about what's going to happen for the rest of the season because I don't think that Manchester United side is any good at all. I don't well, <laughs> then, then that, that poses a really interesting question then, Nick, right? Mm. We've, we've, we've slated Arsenal, we've slated Man United and Chelsea to a certain extent. So top four are going to be Liverpool, just to make you happy for a second, Man City, and Spurs, I think that's that's almost guaranteed, right? Yeah. Unless something really strange happens at Spurs, you know, unless like you know they lose Kane for a prolonged period of time or whatever. But so let's say that's the top three. Who's going to take that fourth spot this year? <sighs> a tough one, right? Yeah, I think uh, it's up for grabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Maybe that's the, that's going to be the the second most interesting battle. In the league, because uh, yeah, I'm looking through the the other teams, and I think there's a real chance there for somebody to do a mini Leicester. Yeah, you know, if 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 a team like Wolves or Leicester or Everton can get their act together, Mm. you know, and and put together a run of results, you know, they 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 could make that really interesting. Because I don't think that, that Chelsea, Man United, and Arsenal look particularly convincing they, they weren't particularly convincing last year certainly I don't think any of the three of them have improved in the close season in fact I think they're all, all three of those teams are weaker than they were before the, the yeah. end of last season 
So there is a chance, right, for somebody maybe just to come through and do something really remarkable this year. That would be nice to see, I think. Be great. I mean, I mean you could, yeah, you don't know one of the you know, Manchester United, Chelsea or Arsenal could surprise us and uh, solidify their uh, their talent and make a push. But yeah, like you say, they all look a little bit too lightweight or a little bit like work in progress, which they shouldn't be, not those clubs. I think Chelsea are actually in being dismantled. I don't know uh, if Frank Lampard's going to get the chance to rebuild them how he wants them. Especially with this transfer ban, as we spoke that's about. That's the problem. That's right. Yeah. Um, all I can say is it's a great time to play them in the Super Cup on Wednesday. And at that point, the conversation turned to who was going to win the league, Liverpool or Manchester City. I would love to let you hear that conversation. But about halfway through, when Nick realised that it probably wasn't going to be Liverpool, he broke down. And I don't want to put him through that kind of public embarrassment and I don't really want to make you feel uncomfortable so there we go a special uh, in quotation marks episode of the mild mannered army podcast with Nick and I chatting football who knows whether we'll ever do this again Um, we might we might not we hope you've enjoyed it if you have thank you so much if you haven't we're very very sorry if you would like to support us you can follow me on twitter at mild mannered max you can find nick at nick underscore amy's and you can also pledge your support from as little as 77 pence per month at patreon details are on my twitter and that would be very very lovely and very very kind of you all right till next time bye